This morning we're going to be reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew um, chapter 26, and we're going to begin in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, My friend, Go ahead and do what you have come for. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We thank you for this time, this place, this opportunity to be able to gather together and to worship you. We thank you for, for your scriptures, for the saints that have gone before us who have spent time reflecting on what it means to call you God and to call themselves people of God so that we today who call ourselves the people of God can turn to these words and struggle with the same questions. What does it mean today to call you God? And what does it mean to call us, ourselves, your people? So be with us now as as your people turn together to your words. Open our ears that we might hear, that we might be transformed into the people that you've called and created us to be. Grant me clarity of thought so that when I speak, it be your words. And hide me behind your cross so that what we experience here today is you, your grace and your mercy, your love, your joy, your justice, and your righteousness. We pray all these things in your most holy and precious name. 
Amen. So, we've been doing this sermon series called Jesus the Christ. And um, the next two weeks, the, the subtitle is kind of difficult. This week, the subtitle is um, Descended into Hell. Uh, next week, by the way, is um, the death of God, and Jaron's going to preach that one. So, um, good times. Uh, descent into hell. So, I don't know if you all remember, but I remember, so, again, just bear with me for a second. So, I grew up in a Christian home, right, and it was a Christian Reformed church home. Many people don't know the Christian Reformed, unless you're from either the Midwest or some New York may know of Christian Reformed. It's, it's the Dutch Christian Reformed church, and so where there's pockets of Dutch people. Where there are pockets of Dutch people where we descended, that's where you'll find those churches. It is not, like, it doesn't make the list of big denominations. Um, anyway, grew up in the Christian Reformed church, and there were certain things that I was taught, right? Just as in all denominations, you're taught, and, and certain things that you're, you're taught. One of them was the Lord's Prayer, for example, right? And, um, and so we're all taught the Lord's Prayer. It's a little different, though, right? Like, I grew up, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Anybody else grow up with that one? All right, and then, and then when I became a Methodist, it was uh, trespasses and, and, and as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? And, um, and so that was one of the things. The other thing, too, growing up when I was, uh, <laughs> this morning I said just a little lad, um, when I was young, I, uh, I was taught that uh, the Apostles' Creed goes like this. Hold on, let me, I don't, I hate to stand up here and mess it up. Um, let's see, where, where do my glasses? The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Uh, I was taught creator of heaven and earth. It now says maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus, that's, you know, whatever. In Jesus Christ's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Does anybody else remember that? Yeah, right? Um, and then in our, uh, in our um, hymnal here, at the bottom, well, first of all, there's a little asterisk next to was crucified, dead, and buried. There's a little asterisk, and it said, the traditional use of this creed includes these words, he descended into hell, um, which means that at some point we removed them. And uh, so I was just curious, right? Like, why did we remove them? And um, it be well, apparently, uh, some people believe that it was heresy to say that he descended into hell. And then others say, well, in First Peter, it mentions that he seems to go someplace and bring back in this time. And, and so there's this whole thing. Um, anyway, it, it's, it's just interesting to me how over the years, something like that has changed. I found this very interesting, though. Um, by the way, that descended into hell, just to kind of finish the thought on this for a second, it actually didn't show up in the Apostles' Creed until around 750. So it wasn't actually the original. So you could make the argument that we went back to the original. The other thing, too, is there was rumors I found out. I didn't know this was even a case. There was rumors that John Wesley was the one that removed it. That's not true. <laughs> right? As important as John Wesley is to our tradition, he, he didn't do that. He may have wanted to. I don't know. I didn't ask him. So, all right. 
I found this interesting, though, as I was reading all about that he descended into hell stuff. Um, one, one theologian began to argue that even if you want to remove that and, and you want to like, argue about what it says in First Peter and all this kind of stuff, he said it could be argued that even if Jesus didn't literally descend into hell, his, his experiencing all the aspects of human contingency to plumb those depths in a way is a way of descending into hell. Right? And so you look at passages of Scripture like the one we just read, where there's this anguish that's happening. And, and it could be argued, according to this theologian, that that's an experience of hell here on earth. I think it's also an indication of like how sometimes we as friends can create or sort of pile on the experience that people have that they might feel like is hellish, right? Like, as you're going through something that makes you feel like, man, this is a living hell, um, you would hope that your friends would be there for you. And when they're not, it makes it even worse, doesn't it? And so think about the anguish that Jesus must have felt. First of all, he goes, to the, he goes there, he's praying. He's like, if there's any way that this can go beyond, like, I don't want this. And then he goes back to his friends who he'd already said, please, stay up and pray. And they're sound asleep. And at that point, I don't know, and that, that's where Jesus is way better than I am. I would have kicked him. <laughs> right? I wouldn't have just been like, hey, guys, come on, pray for me. I would have been like, <clears throat> I, you know, I asked you to pray for me. Now, I will say this. I, I'm not one of those people that believes, like, I know that there are people who believe that uh, hell is the thing that we experience here on earth, and then when we die, we're all going to go to hell. Like, I, that's not me. Uh, I don't believe that, because I do believe this. I believe that hell is this, is this, it's when we are completely absent from the presence of God. To be in hell is to find yourself completely absent from the presence of God. And I will say this, even if we experience moments that feel like hell to us on earth, God's still there. And there's still grace to be received. There's, there's still mercy to be received. But interestingly enough, a lot of times what God chooses to do is provide mercy and grace through God's people. And so those moments when we're not there for somebody, it makes it feel even worse. So that being said, even taking a breath this morning, right now, the breath you just took, because I said breath, you all went, um, that's a gift from God, right? You get that. If God wanted to, it's gone. You can't breathe without experiencing God's grace. Think about that, right? Or think about this. If you want to reach a point in your life where you claim there is no God, do you realize that the reason that you can claim there's no God is because you're exercising God's grace? If God wanted to, he could, he could make you believe. What an opportunity for us to experience God's amazing grace, as we sang about a little bit ago. Well, I didn't sing, as you all sang about a little bit ago. 
But I do think that it's, it's these moments in our lives where we, we, we can't imagine God being present. And to make matters worse, nobody's there for us. It's in these moments that some people do believe hell is something that we experience right here on earth. I think that we do have glimpses of hell just as we do have glimpses of heaven right here on earth. The goal for Christians is to increase experiences of heaven, to bring heaven to earth. But to be sure, we can create living hell for one another. We can. And we can also create a living hell for ourselves. So I I want to look at two people this morning that that are really instrumental in the story of Gethsemane. I want to look at, uh, first I want to look at Judas. And then after we look at Judas, I want to go back and I want to look again. We did this, I don't know, I think it might have been a Palm Sunday several years ago. But I want to look at Lazarus. Two people, really instrumental in this particular story. So Judas, what's going on with Judas? Judas. Judas, Judas has, uh, over the years, people's opinions on Judas have changed. Um, first it was Judas was uh, condemned to go to hell, um, and that was where he was going to spend eternity because of doing what God had planned for him to do. That's, that's hard, Right? And so then eventually, after, you know, the, the, the Christian church moved slow, so it took, took a lot of years, like thousands-something years, they finally said, well, maybe he's not in hell. I think it would be great if we get to the point where we really didn't have to make that decision. Wouldn't it be great if, like, I don't have to make the decision on where Judas is? By the way, we don't have to make that decision. Okay. So, anyway, um, but, but it's pointed out that, that, G, that Judas tried to force Jesus to become what he wanted Jesus to be, and in the end, it leads to this disgrace and death, a disgraceful death, actually. There must have been some good in this man, because Jesus chose him to be one of the twelve. And not just be one of the twelve, he also chose him to be the treasurer, or the keeper of the common purse. Now, it's interesting because one of the commentaries I was reading points out how close they were and how they were friends. And I think that that's probably true because he sits near Jesus at the final supper. He's close enough that Jesus can whisper to him. That's one of the things that we lose sometimes when we read the Bible and we read the stories, which is a little bit different than other books where it says, like, he, you know, there's, like, little descriptors of how things are being discussed. You don't always get that in the Bible. Because there's this scene where he says, hurry and do what you're going to do, right? He, do you know what I'm talking about in the Last Supper? If you don't, go back and read it. Um, the Titans don't play today anyway. And so, <laughs> so anyway, uh, it, it says that he, he looks during the, during the supper, he looks at Judas and he says, hurry and go do what it is you're going to do. And well, like I read that, and I was like, if I was the other disciples and I heard that, I'd be like, what's he doing? Like, and I would wa- so what we miss is that he's close enough to Judas that he can whisper it. Go ahead and do what you are planning to do. 
And what does Judas do? He gets up and he leaves. They're close. And I wonder sometimes if at that point, Judas actually thought Jesus was in on it. Did Judas believe that Jesus knew and approved of what Judas was going to do? Did did he feel that they were that close and that his desires were also Jesus' desires? And it happens, doesn't it? They're close. But by the time he gets to the garden, I think Judas starts to realize that something's not quite right. Because he looks at him and he says, friend. Friend. Now the word friend, and that's one of the things I don't like. I love this version, but I don't always love this version. Because he said, in this one it says, my friend. Go ahead and do what you've come for. That's not what he says. He doesn't say my friend. He says friend. Now that's only, that word is only used two other times in this gospel. And both times it is used to represent someone who is on the wrong side of the story. It's like this. You know somebody, but you don't really know them. And so they come walking up, and you're like, it's good to see you, buddy. How are you, friend? I know you, but I don't really know you. Hey, pal. Someone he was just sitting and eating with and whispering to, he looks at him and says, friend. I wonder if all of a sudden Judas is like, wait a second. Wait a minute. And then as the story goes on, you begin to realize that Judas is thinking maybe something's gone wrong, right? He's greeted with this this politely cool, generic form of address. And then it begins to unravel. What we do know and what we can see and what we can sort of surmise from the story is that Judas' discontent was political. He was di- he had, there was a disappointment that Jesus was not advancing a worldly kingdom. He's not the only disciple that's frustrated with this. In fact, the disciples generally favored that. When, you, when is this going to happen? Like, when are you going to overthrow the Roman government, right? And in betraying Jesus to the high priests, he didn't believe that Jesus would be sentenced to death. He doesn't, he doesn't give him over to the Romans. He gives him over to the Jews, the Jews who have no authority for capital punishment under Roman rule. What he didn't foresee was that Jesus could be turned over to Pontius Pilate, who had the power to crucify. And so scholars think that Judas may have been trying to shock Jesus into taking a more aggressive and rebellious stand against Rome. To convince him that Endlessly turning the other cheek would not liberate the land. They imagine, scholars do, that Judas followed with increased horror the process of Jesus' trial and torture. Think about what, Ju- think about what Judas had seen just a few days before on Palm Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday, right? He comes walking in, and throngs and throngs of people come out, 
And they're all cheering and calling him the king. And they're, and they're laying cloaks and they're laying palms in front of Jesus as he rides in. And this is everything we've, we've dreamed of. Jesus, why aren't you doing anything? And so maybe if I can get Jesus arrested, maybe then what will happen is all of these people will rise up and will begin. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, that is not what's happening at all. I thought I had Jesus all figured out, and I have somehow, even though I have spent these last few years with him, have completely missed the point. Shusaku Endo writes this, When he saw the figure of the loving Jesus being beaten by everybody, when he saw Jesus spouting blood, he stared at the shift in circumstances in waves of mixed emotion loathing himself, then excusing himself, hating the master, then loving him. All of this would explain Jesus' final, uh, Judas' final actions of trying to give back the silver and ultimately going off to hang himself. And then you have Lazarus. Lazarus, who Jesus pulls out of death's grasp. And once he's experienced resurrection, he's able to live freely with and for Jesus. It's a complete commitment to Jesus. You may remember this, you may not. It's fine, it's worth repeating. I believe that in the Gospel of John, the beloved disciple is actually Lazarus. And here's why. Um, by the way, that's not heresy. All right, so if you're like, uh-oh, it's, it's not. Um, it has nothing to do with your salvation. So anyway, um, so I believe this because there's no mention of the beloved disciple until after Lazarus is raised from the dead. And in the Gospel of John, there, there's only one disciple, there's only one person that's actually written in there that Jesus loved him. And that was... Lazarus. And so it says Jesus loved Lazarus, and then after he raises him, there is the beloved, or there is the beloved disciple that goes everywhere with him. From that point on, it tells us in the Gospel of John that people have come out on Palm Sunday because they've heard about Lazarus. And so there's as much interest in seeing Lazarus, the one who was raised from the dead, as there was in seeing Jesus. Then Lazarus, who's from Judah. He's not from Galilee. He gets to go into the high priest's courtyard because they recognized him and allowed him in. Why would they recognize John, who's a fisherman from Galilee? When they see Peter and they call Peter out as being a fisherman from Galilee because of his accent. It's Lazarus. Why would someone, why would one of those disciples be brave enough to go all the way to the cross with Jesus if they hadn't already been dead and raised from the dead before? There's nothing you can do to me. I was already dead. My entire life is now for Jesus. I've died. I've died. I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm completely living for Jesus. My hands are completely in Jesus' hands. He's the one that raised me from the dead. I have experienced death. This is, by the way, something that we should be able to say as followers of Jesus. I have experienced death to myself. I don't care anymore. 
I live completely for Jesus. My life is completely in his hands. That's why we're called to pick up our cross, go all the way to the cross with Jesus, because we don't live for ourselves anymore. And you see, that's the big difference, I think, between Judas and Lazarus. Judas still wanted what Judas wanted and confused what Jesus wanted with what Judas wanted. Judas had become convinced that he and Jesus wanted the exact same things. And that was the overthrow of a government in order to take on power and authority of a government. And instead, Jesus allowed himself to be beaten and crucified. And Lazarus, the beloved disciple, stood there with him and saying, I'm here. While the others slept, I'm here. We're, you see, we're not raised by Jesus. We don't experience this, this new life. By the way, as Christians, that's what we're called to experience is new life, transformation, resurrection. But we're not raised by Jesus so that he can accomplish our goals. We are raised in order to accomplish his. When we allow Jesus to pull us up from the grasp of death, when we no longer want our faith to accomplish our earthly desires, then we too are free. Free to simply follow the one who loved and loves.